When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko back together bringing this to you on Thursday because Friday is New Year's Day. Happy New Year, everybody. And we apologize if this podcast becomes obsolete the minute you listen to it because uh, we I mean it's not even like a joking matter but the Browns seriously have COVID-19 news almost every day and so we are recording this late Thursday morning the news today tight end Harrison Bryant positive linebacker Malcolm Smith positive two more guys that are going to be out there at the moment expecting these receivers who who missed last week to be back at practice on Thursday and be back. So we're trying to analyze a game without exactly 1,000% knowing everybody who's going to be there. The Steelers, which is good for the Browns, also keep announcing guys who aren't going to play for them, not because of COVID, but just because they want to take some time off. So uh, we're going to do our best. We are going to do our best and try to analyze a gigantic matchup and most of the dudes that we assume are going to be there. So we're going to break it down as we normally do late in the week. Scott and Ellis will each take a side of the ball. And I would direct you. We had a special guest on the Tuesday. Got to watch the tape. Brandon Thorne, uh, who tracks offensive linemen and defensive linemen, talked about Miles Garrett with me. So if you missed that one, we didn't have Scott Nellis and, and we missed him, but it was something a little different. So now we're back to normal. We're going to dive in first with Scott Patsko. Browns defense, Steelers offense. Scott Patsko, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. So I want to start by kind of revisiting that first game. Uh, of course, final score was 38 to 7, but the Steelers offense only scored 31 points. So that's a small victory, right? It wasn't all the points he's put on them. It was only 31 of them. I uh, like this. I like this positive outlook right off the bat from Scott. Patrick. It was only really 31. So, oh, beautiful. It's not as bad as it looked. No, but if you've been paying attention uh, to the rest of the NFL this season, you know, that the Steelers are not fueled by their offense or fueled by the defense, which Ellis is going to get into a little bit later. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little about the offense and I want to point out a couple of things that the Steelers did in this game that they haven't done consistently this season. Um, or at least since then. And number one is they hit on big pass plays. And Roethlisberger had four completions of more than 20 yards in this game. He had the 28-yarder, which was a touchdown to James Washington, where they beat Denzel Ward on the double move. He had two passes to Chase Claypool of over 20 yards. It, both of them took the ball down to inside the five-yard line. There was one he almost scored on where he kind of dove for the pylon, ended up at the one. But you put all those plays together, and the Steelers ranked first in explosive pass plays in week six. Uh, among the entire NFL. 
The rankings done on a percentage basis, so other teams might have had more, but the Steelers only passed the ball 23 times, so it was a bigger uh, rate or percentage of their plays. Overall this season, though, the Steelers ranked just 26th in explosive pass rate. They really have not pushed the ball down the field uh, as much as they have in the past, and they certainly haven't done it at a percentage that compares with with other offenses that are uh, on teams that have won as many games as they have. They've kind of played above above their level in, in that respect. Uh, the other thing the Steelers have done well, or at least that they did well against the Browns in that week six game that they haven't done consistently all season, is run the ball. James Conner had 20 carries for 101 yards. That's a 5.1 average. He had a rushing touchdown in that game. It was just the third time – it was the third time in five games that Connor had hundred yards rushing at that point in the season. He hasn't had hundred yards in the game since then. Benny Snell hasn't gotten there either. He had 113 yards in week one against the giants. He hasn't rushed. He's rushed for 20 yards, more than 20 yards, just twice since then. So neither running back is really racking up yards this season. Connor has had just one other 20 carry game this season. And other than a 6.8 yard per carry game against the Jaguars in week 11, his best yard per carry average over the last seven games has been 4.1. He's been under four yards of carry four different times. Uh, so the run game. You know, stinks. It stinks. They can't run. They, they're awful at this. It's amazing. Scott, as you were looking at this, you must've been blown away by how bad their running game is, right? To think that the Steelers are struggling this much. Like when you, when you think about Brown Steelers game and, and, and the Steelers just imposing their will at the end of a game and just running it down the field and never giving the ball back. I mean, that's what you think of when you think of the Steelers offense, at least historically. And that certainly hasn't been, hasn't been the case uh, this week or this season, but despite, despite those struggles, that wasn't the case in week six because that run game was still working. Connor picked up eight first downs running the ball in that game. He had three runs of 10 yards or more. Um, but overall, I mean, the Steelers offense wasn't really dominating in week six, and it really hasn't been all season. They gave 277 yards of offense in that game. And they were only 5 of 14 on third downs, which are both below their season averages, which aren't terribly high to begin with. The Steelers averaged 330 yards of offense, which is ranked 24th. And they're converting only 41% of their third downs, which is kind of middle of the pack. Um, I don't want to steal Ellis' thunder here, but there is one uh, – uh, Steelers defense uh, note that I want to mention here because it, again, it kind of feeds back into the offense. The Steelers defense limited the Browns to one or no first downs on nine of their 12 drives. And that led to a nearly 10 minute advantage in time of possession for the Steelers. Roethlisberger was only 14 to 22 for 162 yards and a touchdown, which is not spectacular. And the Steelers only averaged four and a half yards per carry in this game or four and a half yards per play in this game. So again, it's not like they were, getting chunk yards. Um, but did Baker, did, uh, did Baker throw four pick sixes in that game instead of just what is happening? I don't understand how this, they scored 31 points on offense with the numbers that you're saying. None of this makes sense, Scott Pasco, which should be encouraging for Browns fans because so far, Scott, I would love what you've done. I got to watch the tape. I just want to say everything you've said so far, none of it makes sense. I know it's all very weird, but that's the Steelers this season. I mean, Look, they were they were eleven and zero, and people were wondering how the heck did this happen? You know, the NF, NFC East is probably you know at the top of that list, but they were eleven and zero at one point. Um, before I take a break here, I, there, I do want to mention some personnel decisions because you mentioned this off the top, 
and there are uh, going to be some differences for the Browns in this game. They're going to be without B.J. Goodson at linebacker. He was their best defender in that week six game. I know it got overshadowed because they got blown out, but uh, he might have had his best game of the season. Uh, he had a PFF grade of 85.7, which was his best of the season. He also had his best tackling grade, and that's pretty much his strong suit anyways. And he even earned a coverage grade of 76.0, which that's not Goodson-like. He's only been over 74 times this season, and we've talked earlier in this podcast about his struggles in coverage you know, in general. Um, so they're without him. And we also learned they're without Mac Wilson, who again had one of his better games of the season. No, uh, no, 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 Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith, I'm sorry. Who did I say? Malcolm, you said Mac Wilson. Mac oh, Wilson, they're okay, leaning I'm sorry. This is yeah. Mac Wilson's time to shine, baby. Exactly. He's the last linebacker standing, but Malcolm Smith, another one of the COVID guys they're losing. Yeah, so no Smith and no Goodson. So that means Wilson, Taki Taki, who's still dealing with an ankle uh, thing, are probably going to get the bulk of the snaps of linebacker Jacob Phillips come back. Um, beside that, you're looking at Tay Davis, maybe. Elijah uh, Lee. Um, not a lot of hope there at linebacker beyond Wilson and Taki Taki. Um, at least you have Taki Taki on the field, who is one of your best run defenders. Um, but again, that pairing on the field together, um, it's, it's really kind of hit or miss on what you're going to get from Mac Wilson. The Browns do get Ronnie Harrison back this week, it seems. And he missed that week six game due to a concussion. Carl Joseph was also out with a hamstring injury, which meant you had Sheldrick Redwine starting his first game of the year. And that didn't really work out. He graded at 46.9. He had two missed tackles uh, in that game. But you're probably going to see him on the field with Harrison because Andrew Sandejo is also on the COVID list and has already been ruled out. Um, and we're still not sure what Carl Joseph's um, status is going to be. So that's kind of the background. It's Again, it, everything's kind of up in the air as far as who's going to be on the field. Um, but the Steelers proved in that first game that for whatever reason against the Browns, they were able to do some things that they haven't been able to do consistently this season. And also, as we mentioned, the Steelers are also announcing guys who aren't going to play. Marquise Pouncey, the heart of that offensive line for the Steelers, part of it, not going to play. That's a good thing for the Browns, in addition to Ben Roethlisberger not playing. It does. I, I like the idea of the, that being B.J. Goodson's best tackling stats of the year because James Conner is the exact, is the perfect guy for B.J. Goodson to tackle. Like, he just kind of runs up the middle. He doesn't have a lot of wiggle. He doesn't have a lot of speed. He's not going to really run you over. I, I makes me want to go back and watch the tape. I is was were like 50% of the snaps in that game, five-yard James Conner runs that, that ended with B.J. Goodson tackling him? Well, if you look go back and look at that tape. Uh, he did have plenty of wiggle to his, his game. And I'm going to get into Connor in a little bit here, but he, James Connor and the Browns, it's, it's not what you get from James Connor versus everybody else. And he did, uh, he was very shifty in that game. Uh, he had, uh, I think it was eight, seven or eight avoided tackles in that game. So he was a different kind of James Connor in that game. Unbelievable. All right. So Ellis, let's talk about the linebackers quickly, specifically before Scott keeps diving in on, on all the other matchups here. But when we think about the Browns linebacker, before we came on, I said, the bad news is they don't have any linebackers. The good news is their linebackers have been bad all year. So you're going to notice the difference. Like, what do you think is the context here, Ellis, of how big a deal this is? No BJ Goodson, no Malcolm Smith as, as, as uninspiring as the Browns linebackers have been, I guess probably they're, been the two best ones most consistently this year. So now they're not going to play. 
Right. It's it's of course like this playing without the the receivers last week not as critical of a blow of course, but um, it's the two linebackers who definitely were making the most strides and putting the most consistent quality product on tape. Uh, BJ Goodson was really coming into a nice spot on his own. We know what he can do against the run, but he was making some flash plays in the passing game and not the type of plays that are going to, you know, have him establish himself as a guy that you want out there every play or a guy who on this team, if he gets a shot next year would be on a three down linebacker, but considering what they had, he was making um, some some marginal improvements that was nice to see it, you know, peaking at the right time, playing December football and going to the playoffs right away. And then this happens. And Malcolm Smith, since getting here, has been just that veteran presence, a consistent guy. You can tell with his zone drops, he knows exactly where to be. That's one thing that really stood out to me. It's like when he makes his read, he's decisive. He doesn't end up in no man's land like Mac Wilson or Jacob Phillips at the time, kind of just wondering where they should be. Because at linebacker, if you're a second late, and you're in the gray area of run or pass, it's over. At least Malcolm Smith was making a decision, and then his athleticism would be the, the issue when he did make that decision, but he, it would happen. With the young guys playing, I'll say this, Mac Wilson had a really tough game against the Ravens. He had no idea what he was doing in terms of reading the runs, filling the gaps, knowing where that ball was actually going compared to uh, in terms of Lamar Jackson. And it, it really showed ugly on the broadcast live Monday night. And then when you go back and watch the tape, as we just talked about, well, it's interesting. Scott's going to get into James Conner's history against the Browns. And I'm excited for that. But as we started this podcast saying this Steelers team does not want to run the football. Um, they're the lowest in the league, averaging 84 yards a game. That's like six yards under the, the 31st and 30th ranked teams. So there's not going to be a lot of run responsibilities for Mac Wilson, Jacob Phillips, unless James Conner comes in and has one of these James Conner games. So Scott is probably going to get into that next. I mean, I, I would say though, if you told me, okay, pick, okay, here's the Browns, 22 starters. Here are the 22 guys that they would like to start in this game against the Steelers. Now pick four guys that you got to take out of the lineup because of COVID. I mean, I, I, this is one of the areas where I'd go. I mean, I'm not, I don't take Miles Garrett out. I'm not taking Denzel Ward. I'm not taking Ronnie Harrison. I don't want to lose all four receivers. I don't want to lose the offensive line. I don't want to lose the running backs or Baker. It's like, okay, it's not great, but this is an area where I would go if it was going to happen. Before we get into James, go ahead, go ahead. Real quick on this. I don't have the, the intel to confirm this, but it's just, it is a, something that makes sense when you look at the play, but that touchdown um, in New York, um, the, the tight end sort of bend route in the middle where it just looked like no man's land for between, you know, Carlos Joseph and the linebacker and Denzel Ward not getting contact there. That might be something BJ Goodson potentially can correct. The guy who had the helmet on, the, the signal caller, the guy getting the, his defenders in the right area. I'm not saying BJ Goodson's on the field. That touchdown is null and void, but it is something that I think, you know, we talk so much about the way they fill run gaps and the way they get in the pass. Uh, drops on this podcast communication is is so vital along a defense and that might be something that not having bj goodson is just still taking time for the browns to replace so before we get into more james connor stuff specifically about this scott we do need to talk about mason rudolph and i do feel like the tendency sometimes when you hear the name mason rudolph it's all like the emotional stuff who has a chip who's trying to prove something but we want to talk about like, okay, Ben Roethlisberger, you always said, you know, not throwing the ball down the field that effectively this year, but winning and doing some things. What is it going to mean that Mason Rudolph is going to be the starting quarterback for the Steelers here? 
means all that Big Ben research I did earlier in the week is like worthless. That's what it means. <laughs> Wait, but well, no, but no. Save it for the playoff game after that's the right. Browns win. I mean, I don't know that that's definitely out there, right? That this they oh, come yeah. right back and do this again. So maybe not in vain. Right. Um, but like the Browns, we've only got so much to go with on Rudolph. Uh, he was a third round pick last year for the Steelers. He's only appeared in four games this season. He was three of four passing 75 yards. So we have to go back to last season, uh, Rudolph's rookie year, when he started eight games. Uh, he completed 62% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, nine picks. Overall, he was five and three as a starter, and he started that fateful game in week 11, then ended with the on-field fight. Uh, and that game, he was 23 of 44 for 222 yard, 221 yards, a touchdown, and four picks, which obviously really hurt them. It was his worst game of the season. He had a passer rating of 36.3. Um, what will we get from Rudolph this time around? Um, I think there's two things that, that could show up and maybe be a little different for this team than, than maybe it has been with Roethlisberger this season. A lot of people were surprised last week when Roethlisberger started looking more downfield in the second half against the Colts. It's kind of really what helped spark that rally. Um, it was a surprise because Roethlisberger is 32nd out of 36 quarterbacks ranked in yards per pass attempt with 6.3. Uh, according to pro football reference, he is his intended air yards this season is 6.9. Uh, he averaged 9.3 in two games last year, but that was just two games. It was, it was, so it was 7.8 back in 2018. So it's almost a full yard below what it was the last time he played a full season. By the way, back in week six, Roethlisberger's intended air yards against the Brown was 7.9. So a full yard more than his season average. It was his third highest total of the season. So again, that's another way that the Steelers weren't really the Steelers in that week six game. But with Rudolph, maybe the Steelers see more deep targets. He averaged 8.1 intended yard air yards per game in 2019. So almost a yard better than what Big Ben is doing this year. Um, but there's another part of this that I think people can sometimes overlook with the Steelers and passing downfield. Even though the Steelers haven't thrown a high percentage of passes downfield, the percentage gets knocked down because the Steelers throw so much. They lead the NFL in pass attempts this season with 608. Roethlisberger is actually third in the league this year in pass attempts with 20 yards or more. And he has 11 touchdowns on those throws, which is uh, tied for second. His adjusted completion percentage on those throws is just 32.9%. And there's the problem. He's just not, they're, they're throwing downfield. They're just not connecting. Um, Chase Claypool is seventh among wide receivers in deep targets of 20 yards or more with 26. Um, only nine of those have been catchable balls. Deontay Johnson has 18 deep targets. James Washington has 14. Those three guys have combined for 14 touchdowns on those throws. Um, by comparison, Rashard Higgins leads the Browns with 10 deep targets this season. And OBJ is second with nine. Remember him? He hasn't been here in a while. Uh, in games Mason Rudolph started last year, which was like weeks three through 10, he was ranked 21st in deep attempts with 21. He had three touchdowns, and he, too, struggled to complete deep balls, 33.3%. I'm not saying Rudolph is going to be any better at deep throws, but looking at what he did last year suggests that maybe the Steelers might be looking downfield a little more than they have to this point this season. The other thing we could see more with Rudolph is sacks. Uh, Roethlisberger has only been sacked 13 times this year, and uh, Doug mentioned uh, Pouncey is out. Um, but those 13 sacks are 10 fewer than the next team, which is the Rams, with 23. The Steelers offensive line leads the league in adjusted sacks rate, sack rate, which figures in grounding penalties and sacks per pass attempt. So they really do a good job of protecting Roethlisberger. But the other part of this is they also get the ball out quick. That's what this offense is all about. Short, quick throws. He leads the league in uh, 
the lowest time to throw average, 2.3 seconds. Uh, Rudolph was sacked 15 times last season. And remember, that's 10 games and just eight starts. His average time to throw is 2.8, which might not seem a whole lot different than 2.3, but it is when you're playing quarterback. Um, the 2.8 for Rudolph was ranked 18th, which was just behind Baker Mayfield last season. So the Steelers did a good job of making sure that Miles Garrett faced extra blockers. Uh, Ellis did a really good breakdown after that game in week six that showed how they kind of chipped him and they had extra people in his face. And even when he wasn't going to get close to the quarterback, they were still making sure they kind of hit him. Um, he had one pressure and 25 pass rush attempts, and that resulted in a sack. Sure, they're going to probably use a similar strategy against Garrett on Sunday, but he could have a little more time to get to the quarterback this week with Roethlisberger out. Brown's defensive line's got to dominate this game. Is that wrong? Like, does that feel like Ellis, Scott? I mean, is that, is it, I, that's what I, I, Miles is seemingly working him back, himself back to like full health. Olivier Vernon has had his flashes in the second half. Sheldon Richardson has made multiple impactful plays. That that just feels like it's time for that. That this is team. This is a a do or die game for this team. There's a lot going wrong. A lot has gone wrong. But this goes back to it's the same group, and as much as so much has changed, it's these same four guys that last season, before the season started, Freddie Kitchens was saying, "This is the strength of our team. These four defensive linemen. This is who we are." I would love to see that on Sunday, Ellis, that that's what the, it's not a Baker. It's not all on Baker. It's not all on Nick Chubb. It's not all on Jarvis that these four dudes with no pouncy, with a backup quarterback, with a rather uninspired run game own this, own this game, Ellis. Is that too much? No, I think it makes perfect sense. It, they can set the tone immediately up front. Um, they can rattle Mason Rudolph early Playing a backup quarterback is one thing, but playing a backup center with a backup quarterback is a completely different concoction that the Steelers have now put themselves in. And they wouldn't do it if they weren't confident in it, I'd say. But one area I think that the Browns have an advantage that will both maybe contain Connor a little bit and just disrupt Mason Rudolph is Sheldon Richardson inside now with both facing a backup center and David DeCastro has been battling a knee injury all season. And he's looked as a veteran, he can still do things well when he gets his hands on somebody, but his athleticism is deteriorating both with age and this in an injury. So having Sheldon Richardson also winning inside Larry Ogunjobi, they've got advantages at all four spots for the most part across that line. Not, not specifically because the tackles of the Steelers are, are, are C players, but like Scott said, Mason Rudolph probably is going to hold on to the ball longer than Ben Roethlisberger advantage ends and advantage inside to Sheldon Richardson. Can I tell you guys a little Mason Rudolph story real quick? Mason Rudolph's family has some Northeast Ohio roots back in the day. And someone had brought that up to me and I was sort of in the process last year, like, Hey, this could be a thing because his brother also played for Clemson. So it was like, okay, like Ohio State and Clemson, there's a time they might be heading toward each other and maybe like Ohio, you know, this Browns and Steelers and like it could be a Rudolph. Their family kind of has roots in Northeast Ohio. And I was like, kind of, oh, this could be a thing a little bit. That's like, oh, oh, the the heartwarming Mason Rudolph story on Cleveland.com. Yeah, that's a no go. That one, that's that's not that's not where that's headed anymore. So. Uh, that is what that incident also you want to shut down your email. Like just have it explode. <laughs> Do that story. 
And then it turns out, and I didn't even realize this because I had heard this happen, but I didn't know it. His brother, who played for Clemson, was a starting defensive end for them last year, gave up football in the offseason to be an actor. So he could have been playing Ohio State again this year, but he gave it up because he's like a he's going to pursue acting stuff. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know what what would have to happen in Cleveland for the readers of Cleveland.com to ever in the future be prepared for a heartwarming Mason Rudolph story. So that might that's probably going in the back, the old back pocket. Ellis, you want that one? You want to take that? No, it would be fitting, wouldn't it? (laughs) Hey, new guy. Hey, Ellis, I got an off-season project for you. Yeah, so I'll, anyway. I'll, I'll take the heat hiding over here in Minnesota when it drops. <laughs> so, I, I, asked, I asked Browns fan, I asked some of our football subscribers what they would change the Browns name to if they had to change it. You know, kind of building off the whole Indians name change thing. I thought, well, what would some of the suggestions be? And oh my goodness, that was like that question right there was just just met with a tidal wave of, <gasps> you know, what are you? Suggesting? I can't imagine what a Mason Rudolph feel-good story would would do it'd probably be 10 times that maybe if we get an intern someday we'll give it to the intern um okay so so bottom line this is like this is a significant downgrade for the Steelers that Ben even though he maybe hasn't been dominant in the last couple games he, he did what they needed to do against the Colts this is a good thing for the Browns that this is Mason Rudolph and not Ben Roethlisberger right this is not like oh Ben was looking old and Mason Rudolph's gonna give an injection of hope to the Steelers offense this is a downgrade oh I would yeah definitely I think Look, Mason Rudolph's got a lot to prove in this game, not not because of what happened last year, but because Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have a lot of years left, and Mason Rudolph isn't going to have many more opportunities to prove that he can be the next guy. So he needs to play well in this game to show the Steelers something. Um, but even with that, yeah, you're you're taking you're taking away uh, the quarterback who was making this offense work uh, with all the limitations that it's, that it's had this season. And then putting in a guy who, you know, has taken ways well, throwing the ball five times this year. So yeah, that's a big drop off. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think it's in, real quick. I think it's important. You point that out, Doug, because when you survey back of quarterbacks in this league, it's not like this is the Raiders plugging in Marcus Mariota. You know, if we were, if we were doing a guy to watch the tape on Mariota right now, this would be a very different conversation. This isn't the Cowboys installing Andy Dalton, who's been in the playoffs, you know, a, a, handful of times and this isn't the Packers having to play you know a rookie like Jordan Love which no one has tape on for the most part we know what Mason Rudolph is but he does have a huge opportunity to prove himself Scott's right about that I got two words for you for Brett for Steelers future quarterback Dwayne Haskins uh (laughs) bang it's interesting it's real interesting Joe Burrow in Cincinnati and Dwayne Haskins in Pittsburgh yeah how about that? I still like th- th- this whole week with this whole thing with Dwayne. I still think back to 2018 spring, Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow fighting for the starting quarterback job at Ohio State. And you can go read the thing that I wrote that was like, it's got to be Dwayne. It's got to be Dwayne. Not this Burrow guy. Ah, that Burrow guy. I don't know. If he's going to ever do anything. Oh, life is. Hey, if, if I can get on my soapbox here quickly, any, any young people out there listening who are still trying to, you know, find their place and what they want to do. That's a good story to just show, like, don't head count. Don't get discouraged when you, you, someone beats you out for something. Like, look how this story has ended so far. And, and Dwayne Haskins could land somewhere else and still have a good career. But it's like, you know what I mean? Just keep going. It, it is remarkable when you say that. Like, Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne. And then Joe Burrow goes on to have the greatest college football season ever and looks like a, a future MVP in the league. How quickly things change. 
I, I during Joe Burrow's career at Ohio State, I went back and forth to trying to figure out if he was Matthew Dellavedova because he was such a huge Delhi fan. It made me think it's like, oh, he's like a backup point guard. That's who he is. But I swear to God, and I've written this. There were times when I looked at Joe Burrow and I thought to myself, is he Tom Brady? And so like he's somewhere in between. It's a pretty wide range. He's somewhere between Delhi and the greatest quarterback of all time. So that's the zone that he's settling into. James, hey, what, what, what do those three have in common? They're all champions, right? They all. Brady, baby. If Burrow, if Burrow's in Cincinnati, if Haskins goes to Pittsburgh, does that mean like does Tate Martell end up with the Ravens? Is that what? is that what's next? My God, warming my heart, dropping a Tate Martell reference on "Gotta Watch the Tape." There you go. My gosh, I feel good about that. Thanks for doing that, Scott. That's my that's my late Christmas present from you. <laughs> All right, so James Connor. So he's going to run wild. Is that the whole? That's the final analysis of this. James Connor, who's not good, will dominate this game on Sunday. Please tell me that's not the case. Uh, well, before we get to that, let's let's talk about this. The Steelers uh, let's kind of build up, build up to James Connor. Um, as like Ellis said, they're dead last in, in rushing yards per game, 84.4. Only one of their offensive linemen on the entire roster has a PFF run blocking grade over 60, and that's right tackle Zach Banner, who was injured in week one and lost for the season. Everybody else has been really bad. And we've mentioned how the Browns are one of the worst in the league in short yardage running situations. Uh, they're ranked 30th in power success rate. The Steelers are also bad in this metric. They're ranked 29th. And like the Browns, they're near the bottom in stuffed rate. Uh, 29th, which is three spots below the Browns. But unlike the Browns, who kind of live off all those explosive plays and get uh, a ton of second-level yards and open-field yards, the Steelers are ranked 31st in second-level yards, 16th in open-field yards. So there's not you're not going to see Steelers running backs running wild this season. BFRM breaks them 31st in run blocking. So, yeah, just bad on bad. The offensive line has been really stable this season, though. They've had some changes at left guard. Um, Kevin Dotson started there last week and didn't allow a pressure, but he graded at 40, 54.1, uh, as a run blocker. Uh, he's a rookie. So the Steelers have struggled running the ball, but that's probably why they're happy to see the Browns. And it's not because the Browns have one of the league's worst rush defenses. I mean, they're not great. They're just 25th in uh, run defensive run defense DVOA. And they give up only, they give up only six more yards per game than the Steelers do on the ground. But again, like we've said here, we're talking about James Conner versus the Browns. And as our colleague Dan Lavey uh, reminded me of uh, yesterday on a podcast, when James Conner plays the Browns, he becomes Barry freaking Sanders. Uh, Back in 2018, in week one, 31 carries, 135 yards, two touchdowns. Week eight that season, 24 carries, 146 yards, again, two touchdowns. Those were Conner's two highest rushing totals of the season. He topped 100 yards in only three other games that year. Last year, he played the Browns once in week 11. He had five carries for 10 yards, but he was coming off an injury. He only played 13 snaps in that game, so we're not really going to count that. And, of course, earlier this year, he had the 20 carries for 101 yards and the touchdown. Connor had a season high. I think I said eight earlier. It was actually it was five avoided tackles versus the Browns in week six. He averaged 2.9 yards after contact, which is his third best total of the season. Uh and again, he had the, the eight first downs that he picked up, were a, which are a single game high for this year. In those two games in 2018, he had 10 total runs of more than 10 yards across those two games, including a season high six in the second game. So, of course, after all that, we're going to find out that James Conner, you know, isn't playing Sunday and, you know, all of this is moot. But um, if he does play, 
you can expect James Conner to be excited and probably productive because that seems to be all he does against the Browns. As someone who wasted a second-round pick in my fantasy draft on James Conner this year, I'm not worried. I'm not. It just That is the past. That is the past. I refuse to believe. Scott, you're, I refuse it. I, I, I deny the possibility that James Conner is going to come out and run wild. I'm just, it's not going to, I refuse to believe it, Scott. Take your numbers and cram them. The Browns are without their best tackler on defense. Keep that in mind. Um, you're not sure what you're going to get from Mac Wilson, that linebacker. Uh, now, Sheldon Richardson has been playing well, like you mentioned. He's had some of his best games down the stretch. Um, Miles Garrett's getting back to his normal self. Olivier Vernon, I think. Again, this isn't run defense, but I think all eight of his sacks have come since week eight, something like that. So these guys are hitting their stride at the right time and, and, and playing well. But, man, it's something about James Conner and the Browns. He just just goes off. And the, the linebacker situation, I think, keeps that possibility very much alive. What do you think, Ellis? All right, so here's where I'm landing on this. Our – our wonderful boss, our editor, David Campbell, texted me a couple days ago and said, hey, can you put a, together a film study on Mason Rudolph and the Steelers offense? And I enjoy a challenge like anyone. You know, we're competitive in this industry. It's like, all right, yeah, let me try and do this. And when I sat there and brainstormed a little bit, I realized I just couldn't land on anything tangible that I thought Mason Rudolph and the Steelers offense would put on the field on Sunday. So rather than right out of my rear end and <laughs> oh well, now, now, now let's uh, I highly recommend writing out of your rear end. I have much experience down there. Don't sell that short, Ellis. Yeah see I'm I just still, I just did 20 minutes of podcast that way uh, on the Steelers offense. <laughs> see I'm still I'm still a young writer. I will get better out of better at rear end writing. But for now you know I like to have you know concrete evidence and a, and a, a clear landing spot on how I think something's going to go before I project it. And I just told him, look, I really don't know what the Steelers' offense is going to look like on Sunday. I mean, is Mason Rudolph throwing it forty times like Big Ben a good idea for the Steelers' offense and giving Miles Garrett forty opportunities to sack him? I don't think so. The last time Mason Rudolph played in Cleveland, he threw it 44 times. Would it shock me if they throw it a bunch? No. Would it shock me if they come in and are under center and hand the ball off 25 times and all of a sudden are like a play action team and, you know, a little vanilla, but just aren't a shotgun short throw double move team like big Ben. It wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me either. Point being Doug, you asked me the same question our boss did and I don't have anything for you. I just don't know what this is going to look like to the point of James, the mystery of James Connor, he stinks for everyone, but the Browns, you can go out and try and read anything you want to on Mason Rudolph. And you're going to find people who believe in him still as a prospect, as a talent at the quarterback position. And you're going to find people who say he is complete trash and garbage and the Steelers need to move on. So I'm here to tell y'all, I don't know what the defense is going to look like. I'm sure Joe Woods has a better idea than I do, but again, you're, you're, coming into just a funky situation here in week 17 it, it makes it a game that the Browns definitely should have the upper hand on but it, like in in battle on the football field the element of surprise and unpredictability is a true advantage and that is the one thing the Steelers offense has going for it I, we just don't know what it's going to look like all right that's that side of the ball 
Browns defense, Steelers offense. Coming back on the other side, Ellis Williams, Browns offense, Steelers defense. And if you think the, the Steelers are missing some guys on uh, on offense, they're missing some dudes on defense as well. That is next on Gotta Watch the Tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape, Doug Maurice, Scott Pasco, Ellis Williams. Happy New Year to everybody, by the way. Thanks so much for making Gotta Watch the Tape part of your uh, Browns life this year. We've enjoyed bringing it to you. and We hope we have another week to bring it to you, uh, getting ready for a playoff game. But for now, diving in, Baker Mayfield against this depleted Steelers defense. Ellis Williams, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. Yeah, so unlike Scott, I'm not going to start by talking about the game that happened in October <laughs> because it literally does not matter. Um, as Doug highlighted, this defense looks completely different than the one that essentially ended the game on the first offensive snap for the Browns in October. Baker Mayfield picked six to make a Fitzpatrick, and that was that. Browns hands, look at it this way. In the simplest form, T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree on the outside, Cam Hayward in the middle, and Devin Bush in, at inside linebacker. All four of those guys were on the field for the Steelers in October, and all four of those guys will not be on the field in Week 17 for the Steelers in a must-win game for the Browns. This is a completely different defense. The injuries are, are injuries. You know, I was prepared to talk about what has changed with this Steelers defense in the absence of Bud Dupree and Devin Bush, and, and we will get into that. But you take away T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward, it, it, it completely changes the identity of this defense. Point being, T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, and Stephon Tuitt, who will will be playing, you know, it, like Mike Tomlin said it, you can't just roll out um, a preseason roster in week 17 of the NFL football season. There's only 53 guys on this team, uh, guys who play a lot of snaps consistently and who will play a lot of snaps in the playoff game the Steelers play will also play a lot of snaps uh, on Sunday, you know, like Scott mentioned, all of the Steelers weapons at receiver and James Conner. These are household names that are going to play, even though this meet, this game clearly doesn't mean a whole lot to Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. Without those three, excuse me, without TJ Watt and Cam Hayward, they ranked number three and number four, respectively, in quarterback pressures this season. And to it is number five. So that's just the Steelers dominating the one through five spots of quarterback pressure that is just simply going to make Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski's life a heck of a lot easier come Sunday. We've seen what Baker Mayfield does when kept clean and given time to operate the Steelers at their base are a three, four defense that love to send an extra defender blitzing. They blitz at the second highest rate in the league, 40% clip behind only the Ravens. But the big difference between the, what the Steelers do and what the Ravens do is the Steelers like to play zone defense behind their blitz where the Ravens play a lot more physical man-to-man where Ravens philosophy is we're going to send guys and you're going to know where our guys are, but our guys, our athletes are better than yours. So we're going to glue you up and we're going to get to the quarterback. The Steelers want to get to the quarterback and then create confusion on the back end. So you throw a pick to a guy that you didn't think was there, you know, kind of like the Minka Fitzpatrick pick six that, 
Baker threw when these teams first met. So the the scheme, the base scheme will look the same. This is going to be a Steelers team that wants to play a good amount of zone. They get into man on, on third and mediums when, you know, the whole playbook tends to be open. I noticed that on tape specifically in the Colts game. They're comfortable in man also, even though Phillip Rivers in the first half did a good job uh, finding his guys on some short crosses and whatnot. But Browns fans, before I, I, I go through this roster and I want your guys' thoughts on this, please keep this in mind. Of course, this game is, I'm by no means am I saying this is a shoe in for the Browns to win. Is there no guarantees in football? This is going to be a tough victory, but expect a really vanilla look from Mike Tomlin in the Steelers defense for the simplest reason of why would Tomlin show his most exotic blitzes or his most dynamic fronts in a game that, as I said, clearly doesn't mean a whole lot. And secondly, this matchup could just happen in week 18. This could be the opening, you know, wild card game that these two teams meet again. So Mike Tomlin has zero reason to really challenge the Browns offense aside from what they do in their base sets. Is that when I propose that to you guys, what, because we're walking into some, those, you know, wonky play your division opponent three times in a season type of situation. Does that make you uncomfortable? Where do you guys land in this matchup in terms of the big picture? Or is it, you know, just winning it in and this might not even be an issue. I mean, I like it. I, I, that does not, I like the idea of the Browns playing these guys a third time. I like everything you're saying, okay. but I think the thing that we learned and we talked about it so much looked terrible against Baltimore offensively in week one, when they played Baltimore again, they didn't win, but they scored. They moved the ball. They had a plan. Kevin Stefanski adjusted, looked terrible against Pittsburgh offensively first time they played him. I think Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield are going to learn from that. And so even now, so if Pittsburgh gives them some vanilla looks and doesn't have their best guys, they'll learn a little bit more. And then I think it won't be by the third matchup. It wouldn't be like, oh, no, the Steelers have figured out Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski. I would be like, okay, Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski have even more intel together on the Steelers, even if it's limited. So I like the matchup now and I would like it again, Scott, I don't know. Do do you disagree with that? Or like where, you know, again, the idea that they're doing this now, but they also could do it again. Yeah. I mean, I don't look, I mean, we played pretty much a whole season. Uh, I don't know how much secrecy is left for either of these teams uh, based on, you know, I mean, you have a whole season to look at what what the Steelers have done, just like, you know, same thing with the Browns. So, you know, the Browns come out on offense and, and do they're going to do what they do. And it's not like I wouldn't expect them to switch that up dramatically if they play again, you know, in the first round of the playoffs. So I, don't, I don't know. I think the Browns just want to win and worry about that later. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's very similar to the offense. You're not really sure what you're going to get. And, you know, personnel has a lot to do with it. Just real quick on this. I don't want to step on what you're doing, Ellis, but to me, the, the announcement of Watt and Hayward not playing is even bigger than the announcement of Roethlisberger not playing. Is that, is that, I mean, like the Watt and Hayward, what everything you just said, Ellis, they're so good. They change everything. And it's like, okay, you plug in the backup quarterback. You still try to do some of the same stuff, throw it to Chase Claypool, whatever. But like this, the announcement, this is, this is, this is franchise changing to me. The idea that like, oh, TJ Watt, arguably the best defensive player, in the NFL, oh, he's sitting too. Am I overestimating that? Yeah, COVID aside and everything going on in Berea right now with the Browns, Baker Mayfield probably woke up to this news of the Steelers sitting these guys and felt safe. 
you know, he woke up feeling safe because as I highlighted with those pressures, that's one thing. Vegas is never wrong either. If you go look at the defensive player of the year odds right now, uh, TJ Watt and Aaron Donald are basically tied as favorites. And then Cam Hayward is right there third and Miles Garrett is fourth. So to have two of the top three guys for defensive player of the year, including their pressures, including their PFF rankings, it is uh, just a night and day scenario for the Steelers defense. One, they're clearly comfortable going into, which again remains with the theme of how unpredictable the situation really is. Because when I then went into my notes to, you know, redo this dive after the news, I tried to forecast who would be replacing these guys. You know, when you, when you replace a quarterback, you name a starter. It's, it's that simple. When you're trying to figure out who's going to replace an interior defensive lineman or an edge rusher. And for guys who do not come off the field, as you're about to hear, it gets challenging. So TJ Watt, PFF's 90 uh, grade, one of the best outside linebackers in football that's established his replacement from what I've gathered is drone Elliott. And he plays played four snaps all year, including two last week against the Colts. The only times he spelled TJ Watt at the left outside linebacker position, he earned a grade of 24 from PFF. I mean, it's a way too much of a way too small of a sample size to say this kid can't play based on four snaps in his PFF grade. But I'm, what I'm trying to say is either they're going to activate someone and roll guys or, you know, drone is an opportunity here to just take all of TJ Watt's snaps and is essentially an unknown commodity. The same is true for Cam Hayward's replacement. From what I gathered, it's going to be Carlos Davis, number 73. He played 10 snaps against the Colts, only has 47 on the season and a PFF grade of 47.3. So really, if you when you break this down, if those replacement players either A, play to their PFF grade or simply look like inexperienced defenders out there, yeah, Doug, this is a huge, huge game-changing decision and much more beneficial to the Browns than having to face Mason Rudolph. I like the idea that Baker Mayfield has moved from, I woke up feeling dangerous to, I woke up feeling safe. He's become that Denzel meme where he's, you know, just like patting himself like, Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> what a had me there for a minute, but Oh, I feel so much better. It's all going to be okay. So let's go, let's go through some of the guys that will be out there. Um, Cause again, and Mike Tomlin has said it, you know, we're not fielding a, a preseason roster. The, we are going to Cleveland and trying to win. And quite frankly, those, that locker room is going to be motivated just to send Cleveland home. I mean, why not try to stick it to the Browns? You're going to show up and play the game. Eventually talent tends to decide these outcomes, assuming coaching staffs are on their, on their game, which I think Kevin Stefanski is due for a bounce back game. But the guys out there still provide, you know, a, enough of a, of a Steelers defense that is going to have some resistance. You know, um, we talked about Stephon Tuitt. He's number four in pressures. He'll be on that interior defensive line, a PFF grade of 75. Um, the linebacker position goes from average to worse now without TJ Watt, of course. When they lost Bud Dupree, this defense really changed a lot. And a lot of people talk about Devin Bush, and he's a heck of a talent, a freak athlete, and did a lot. Uh, in terms of coverage for that linebacker group. But when they lost Bud Dupree, they lost one of the best edge setters in football, a guy who is strong enough, big enough, athletic enough to set an edge versus a, a, a tackle 
or a double team, even with a tight end and a, and a tackle and either make a play or keep his edge discipline and funnel the play back inside as a, as a good edge rusher should do. But more importantly, and we talked about this on got to watch the tape back in October, he really set the blueprint on how to defend the Browns bootlegs, specifically the left bootleg, his discipline on those play fakes was a masterclass. It was a clinic for him. Now he did it once he did it on the one of the first drives of the game. He, there was a play fake and he just screamed down the line, trying to go after Nick Chubb, cutting off a, 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 a cutback and Baker kept it. And it was, um, I think it was the either a Jarvis gain or a Harrison Bryant gain, you know, the two guys they tend to throw to in the flats on those boots. But after that, it they never got it again. The Browns never got it again as Bud Dupree Bolster stood firm against the run and then just stayed home for the bootleg and they were in Baker's face all game. So without Bud Dupree, it's been Alex Highsmith who's replaced him. Highsmith has played well, 75 grade of PFF, but watching the tape last week on the Colts, he did not do a good job setting the edge uh, with Jonathan Taylor, the Colts rookie running back. For some reason, the Colts went away from Taylor in the second half. But I would have said this, whether Watt was playing or not, whether Hayward was playing or not, this to me seems like a great opportunity for the Browns to get back to running wide zone and bootlegging Baker Mayfield again. And now that you have both edges open, I don't see why the Browns can't just wide zone this team for, you know, 20 snaps, sprinkle in the bootlegs when they can and get back to that Browns offense that we know originally because in the back end this Steelers defense it's not where you, you're worried about him you're worried about Hayward you're worried about Watt of course Minka Fitzpatrick is there but at the end of the day he's a free safety that can only do so much uh, Joe Hayden uh, Steve Nelson and Mike Hilton at the corners are all fine they're they're good corners but they're not guys you throw away from uh, both Hayden and Nelson have Hayden 68 targets this year Nelson 75 they both have about like a 58% completion, but when they are getting beat, it's, you know, 15 yards a pop for Hayden who allowed a 42 yard score to Zach Pascal last week. And Nelson's allowing 11 yards a catch four touchdowns allowed for Nelson three for Hayden. Both are allowing a quarterback rating of about 85. So again, they're not by any means scrubs. It won't be easy pickings, but in a Kevin Stefanski offense, I guarantee you that he has noticed certain plays he can tailor to a run to then exploit a pass over the top of those two cornerbacks. So again, this to me is about how the edges now have become open season, fair game for whoever wants to establish and take that corner first will own it. And then this Browns offense can first run the ball wide and then explore some deeper passes. Now, assuming all the receivers are back and things keep trending the way they are with that receiving core. And things there have been some times lately where things have been not necessarily off with the offense, but I think we got to see sort of like what we think of as like the classic Kevin Stefanski Browns offense with Baker Mayfield on this run game. And Scott, it feels like what Ellis is outlining here is a chance to return to that, to like the almost like a best of compilation of like, hey, it's the last game of the year. This is what we do. Here's some wide zone. Here's some Baker bootleg let it roll when maybe, you know, last week, you know, the receivers with the jets and there've been times when they've gotten a little away from that. Maybe it's set up for that again. Yeah, it would seem so. I mean, they have to hope it's not Lucy holding the ball, you know, 
There it is. Go ahead and kick it. It's right there for you. Go ahead and take it. Um, no, I think that's that's what you're. I guess you're hoping for. I mean, this offense for the Browns to be successful, the Browns need to score. They need to score a lot, and you know that's why I think definitely that the people that the, the Steelers are missing on defense are, are a bigger deal than even like you said Ben Roethlisberger being out because the Brown the Browns defense is what it is, and and the Steelers offense is what it is, and you know they're going to crash into each other and, and just, you know, you're going to hope for the best with the Browns defense, but on offense, the Browns offense needs to do something this week. And the fact that they are going to be able to do it with maybe less pressure on, on Baker and the more opportunity for those boots and just to get back to the play action that, that became such a big part of this offense. And, you know, the, the run game that we saw like against the Cowboys or, you know, early on, uh, even against Washington, that's, if they can get back to that, then that's great. You're going into you're going into the playoffs on a strong note, but you know, then you turn around and it's going to be a totally different story in that in that first playoff game if you get the Steelers again. All right, Ellis, I like the vibe so far. Like the vibe, encouraging, encouraging things. Keep rolling here. I think you're making Browns fans feel pretty good so far. Yeah, the the, the Browns offense has an opportunity here to just get back on track, and there's two reasons for that. First, I want to I want to highlight what it is when I'm looking at these defenses and trying to formulate what the offense can do first, I think it's really important to identify what a defense struggles against. And on tape last week against the Colts, two things really stood out. And I would have said this before the TJ Watt and Hayward news. I think this was going to be monumental either way. First, the deep ball, as I said, the Pascal 42 yard touchdown. They also gave up completions of 26, 25 and 20 yards versus the Colts. Browns fans saw what the Colts offense looks like when the Browns beat them in Cleveland, that offense has matured and found itself in a way like, you know, like the better offenses do as the year goes on. But for Phillip Rivers to stand back there and deliver strikes like that has to be a pleasing thought for Browns fans as they think about what, you know, a double move for people's Jones or Cordero Hodge getting deep or just Jarvis winning inside and having opportunities. If Phillip Rivers can stand in there and deliver some strikes, Baker with a better offensive line. The Colts are playing without two of the, both their starting tackles. The Browns seem to be trending in the right way of getting healthy there now. There's going to be opportunities deep. And then secondly, the Steelers is though their reputation is a bruising strong defense, they actually struggle against tough interior runs. Jonathan Taylor was averaging five yards a pop in the first half for the Steelers last week. He had two rushing touchdowns, both on just interior runs, real simple inside zone, quick hitting. They'd even do that a shotgun. Sometimes he didn't need the momentum downfield. It was the, the Colts interior, you know, led by Quentin Nelson, of course, the all pro guard. And the Browns have one of those now in, in Wyatt Teller, you know, maybe, maybe a Quentin Nelson light, but he's as, you know, as good as a guard as there is right now in football. If Teller's back, assuming a bounce back game for Treader, and then, of course, Joel Batonio continuing to do what he does. The Browns have a clear advantage on the interior of the line right there. And Nick Chubb will get his, but he's more of the, as we've talked about, the cutback, the big play running back. Kareem Hunt, I think, has a real opportunity to just bruise seven yards a pop, eight yard a pop, 11 yard gain, four yard gain, another seven, and just bruise those guys inside. Because not only is it the Steelers' interior that now takes a hit without Cam, but these linebackers have been unimpressive since they've been trying to replace Devin Bush. Um, Vince Williams is the guy who 
has established himself as that that inside linebacker, but they also have a guy, Marcus Allen, who's a converted safety playing. So that's a smaller guy that they just, you know, they got desperate and needed to plug a guy in. He's a smaller frame player who probably doesn't have much of a chance inside if he's taking on second level blocks from a Wyatt Teller. So having the opportunity with the deep ball, establishing an inside presence, I, I think are going to be there. And now without Watt, the edges are there as well. What the Steelers defense is trying to do though, because that's the second part. What do they struggle against? But then what is their goal? Every team has weaknesses, but the advantage comes when you get an opposing team to play into your strengths. Very simply, the Steelers want to create confusion, chaos, and be aggressive. And that goes back to the zone blitz. They're, they're masters in their secondary of showing Baker Mayfield one thing. And then right before the snap, and they did it to Phillip Rivers plenty too, right before the snap where the quarterback – literally no longer can survey the defense because they have a football that is about to show up right in their chest. They roll, they roll the coverage. You'll see a safety down near the box, roll deep. You'll see a corner slot corner, start creeping towards the line of scrimmage, flirt with that tight end or off tackle. And they just send them. And that is nightmarish for quarterbacks that either a aren't expecting it. B don't do well with pressure or C are turnover prone. Two of those things, you know, used to be Baker Mayfield, not expecting it, turnover prone. He's done well with both of those. He's decoding coverages a lot better in the second half of the season, and he isn't turning the ball over with interceptions, at least. His under-pressure numbers still need some work. Look, they've improved. Um, just four weeks ago, I'd say before the Titans game, Baker was like at 40% completion against pressure, um, only four yards per attempt uh, versus the Ravens and versus the Jets versus pressure, 43% completion against the Ravens, 56% completion against the Jets versus pressure, yards per attempt goes up to six. So he's making progress in that area, but he still is at his worst when facing pressure, and that's the Steelers' main goal. Pressure the quarterback, create confusion, and remain aggressive. But again, they don't have the athletes now to do that. So I think they're still going to try to play their brand of football, but without the athletes, this should be advantage Cleveland and a real opportunity to reestablish their identity and head to the playoffs looking like that offense that we all saw versus the Giants on Sunday and, night a couple weeks ago. And, and not just because of all the things the Steelers don't have for this game, but from the Baker Mayfield side of things and the Kevin Stefanski side of things, is it fair to just throw out the last Steelers game? Like, is that just, that's not who he is anymore? Or like Scott Nellis, like what, are there, are there any remnants of that that are applicable here? Or is it, nope, he's a different dude, ignore it? They, I was gonna say, they had, they had, like, their third drive in that first game, I think, was what you want to see from the Browns. They uh, they were down 10 nothing at the time, but they opened up with, uh, I think it was a boot. It was definitely play action. It was a pass to Harrison Bryant, like 11 yards. Okay. Then Kareem Hunt, he had two nice runs. Hit 10 and, uh, like, 8, 7, 8 yards back-to-back behind uh, right guard. I mean, that's like those two plays or those three plays right there. That's the Browns offense. But then, you know, there was a sack and everything gets blown up and you incomplete deep to OBJ and you got a punt, you know, they were actually in Steelers territory. Uh, but that drive, it looked like, all right, well, they finally got, they finally got it going after those, whatever those first two possessions were, where they came out with empty backfield and, 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 you know, you're throwing the pick six, but uh, we did see that it was just very brief in that first game. Right. It's a, it's a good point by Scott. And as 
Baker's progressed now, I think, Doug, you're accurate when you ask, you know, is Baker's not that guy anymore, right? I He's not playing like that guy. He has been far more de- decisive, far more confident in what he's seeing pre-snap. Again, this is the NFL. Players regress. Things change. I think Carson Wentz is the poster boy for that in 2020. But Wyatt Teller also didn't play you know, against the Steelers the first time. Nick Chubb wasn't there. And, you know, Teller, we don't know yet on him, but if he's back, it's just a different situation for Baker Mayfield. And then, of course, not facing the freak athletes that the Steelers deployed in that first time compared to now. It's just going to give Baker an opportunity to have a clean pocket, beat a Steelers defense that has caused him problems since he's gotten here and then carry that momentum into the playoffs. That's how I see this trending rather than some sort of remake of what happened in October. All right, so what are they going to do? What's the Browns offense going to do here, Ellis, to, to, to get this team into the playoffs? Yeah, I think it, I have been wrong about this the past three weeks. I have continuously said the Browns need to run the football. They need to get back to leaning on Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb and I, I expected it versus Baltimore, didn't happen. I expected it versus the New York Giants, didn't happen. And then without any receivers, I was like, they got to run the football versus the Jets. And it still didn't happen. So I, again, could be completely wrong about this. And Baker Mayfield could come out and throw it 35, 38, 42 times because Kevin Stefanski clearly has confidence in Baker Mayfield to do that. It is not just throw let Baker throw early and then run Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt late it really and re after re-watching that Jets game it really became clear that Kevin Stefanski thought that his best option was Baker Mayfield throwing and his creativity in the passing game and as a play caller would get them out of that precarious situation in New York that backfired I think this is where Kevin Stefanski gets back to a true 50-50 balance, gets back to the bootleg, gets back to putting Baker Mayfield under center, gets back to running wide zone. And it looks like a Browns team, you know, against uh, the Bengals, you know, those type of games come to mind versus, versus the Cowboys games where they're able to control the game with the ball rather than having Baker and shotgun and putting the game in his hands. I think that's the best way and this is going to be a theme as we carry through Sunday of just reestablishing their identity. They need to get back to being that balance attack, leaning on the run game rather than having Baker in shotgun, letting him dictate terms. Baker's proven he can do it. I just think the, the margin for error is thinner when you're putting Baker in those situations. He's clearly proven to be, you know, his fumbling issues are clearly there. He's not throwing interceptions. But this is just not a game where you need to put the game in Baker's hands. Allow your defense to maybe create some turnovers against Mason Rudolph, as Scott talked about in the first half. He's probably going to hold on to the ball a bit longer than Ben Roethlisberger has. And then lean on the run game, get back to play action, and you take that momentum into the playoffs, go back to that marriage and that unpredictability that got everyone so excited rather than Baker Mayfield throwing it 50 times and getting this team to the postseason. They probably can do both and win either way, to be clear, but I think the, the healthier plan and the more sustainable plan going into the playoffs is finding that balance again. So should run and will run more, Scott? 
You think you think that's the case? Wait, Ellis has been wrong every week. Why why is he still doing deep dives? Uh, <laughs> We've invalidated the whole premise of the podcast here. In the I haven't been paying attention, but now I'm thinking about it. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I'm getting my gotta watch the tape card revoked. Won't be here for the won't be here for the playoff preview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think definitely you want to see. I mean, the Browns are supposed to be a team that runs more than they pass. They're supposed to be one of those three to four teams that do that this season. And, um, you know, it hasn't been the case uh, here, uh, obviously not last week, um, but yeah, they did. They need to get back to that. And again, you like Ellis said, you got Teller back maybe, and you definitely got Chubb. And I think that alone right there should say, Hey, let's try to make this thing work and be where we're supposed to be. All right, Ellis. So overall you have a, a, a decent amount of confidence in the Browns offense for this game, or how would you describe it? I do. I do. I have, a, I have a lot of confidence in their offense in this game. Uh, football, as much as it's, it's chess, as much as it's game planning, it's also about freak athletes making incredible plays. And the Steelers do not have their A premier talent on the field for this one. To be clear, we don't need to dive in this Jets game, but the Browns win that game if those receivers are playing. It, it, is, it, is, it, it became so obvious how integral and paramount the Browns receivers are to Kevin Stefanski's game plan and just how this whole engine operates with Jarvis Landry back with Richard Higgins back. Kevin Stefanski has his full range of weapons available. And again, if he wants to go out there and throw Baker 38, 40 times, they probably still win, but the more sustainable. And I think the way to put more fear into defensive coordinators as you head towards the playoffs is to get back to that balanced look play action and unpredictability rather than putting this on Baker Mayfield's shoulders. But again, just with the athletes, I don't think it's a fair fight. I know Browns fans are anxious as hell right now and don't want to hear about guarantees and easy wins. I don't think it's easy. But if Kevin Stefanski has shown anything outside of last week is that they're incredibly prepared, very humble, and calculated when it comes to taking care of the matter at hand. They're not going to get caught up in the Garrett stuff from last year. They're not going to get caught up in backups playing. They're going to treat this like this is the Steelers A1 versus the Browns A1. And it's just going to look like a professional football team taking care of business and getting back on the right track. All right. That's the both sides dive on got to watch the tape. We'll be back with final thoughts heading in to week 17 Brown Steelers right after this. Back with final thoughts, Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, Brown Steelers on Sunday. Scott Patsko, final thoughts for our listeners as we lead into week 17. So there was something I found when I was looking through, uh, kind of doing research on the Steelers this week, and I thought I'd share it at this point. If you take out the NFC East opponents that the Browns have played, because all those teams are you know below 500, the Browns have played two teams that'll probably make the playoffs since they played the Steelers. One was the Titans. Titans scored 35 points, had 431 yards. The Ravens had 47 points, 385 yards in that Monday night game. For the season, the Browns are allowing 36.2 points per game against non-NFC East teams. That have either clinched the playoffs or can this weekend. So that's not great. Um, the Steelers are going to be another one of those teams, as we've said pointed out through this podcast are not going to be the same Steelers that you know they saw back in week six but that's what the Browns have done against teams that have been really good and I think that's kind of something that we pointed out all this season who is this Browns team are they the team that's beating up the 
you know, the Washingtons and the, and the Bengals and the Jaguars of the world, or, or are they the Browns that, you know, showed up and, and gave the Ravens a run on Monday night? So this, this, this game isn't going to answer that. We're going to have to wait till the playoffs to get that answer, I think. I will say one part of that is they've had so many guys in and out of the lineup defensively that between Miles and COVID and Lonnie Harrison injury and, and um, you know, just the safety and now the linebackers. I do think it's possible that the defense is never going to be good. Anyone I think has like been waiting for the defense to be good. You're going to have to wait till next year, but that I think they still could be like better than they've been in the playoffs. If some of these guys, if, if BJ Goodson's able to be back and if, you know, Ronnie Harrison is back this week and that kind of thing. And the more miles gets back to himself, it's like, okay, I do just think that slight opening is there. Although I just would not have anyone put too much faith in this defense. They do have a chance to be as healthy as they've been all season in the playoffs. So that's, that's a positive. All right. I'm going to do mine real quick, just because I'm trying to put a nice spin on a guy being out. (laughs) It's not a nice spin. It's sort of like, Oh, I'm glad this guy can't play. Every time they throw to Harrison Bryant, I'm nervous. Since he had fumbles and back-to-back games a couple weeks ago, it feels like he has a route each game where Baker is expecting him to read it one way and he reads it a different way. And it's sort of like, oh, that was almost a pick. That's because they were on the same page. Like I've at times I became known as a Donovan Peoples Jones doubter. I was been on that rookie. I feel like a lot of people are excited about Harrison Bryant. He has done, I think, rookie things at various times this year. I mean, that Jacksonville fumble, that nearly murdered that game. That was an unbelievably terrible moment for this offense. And, like, I just don't think I, – I just think they'll be fine without him. Steven Carlson will play or whatever. They'll play the three tight ends. They'll still do the same stuff. But, man, there are still – I think there – wasn't there a throw last week – or the week before where it was like, was it near the red zone? It's like, yeah, Oh, Baker sure. threw it over there and he wasn't there. And it's like, well, what do you think went wrong? There's like just a misread on, a, on maybe how you're supposed to settle in. And then he just, it just makes me nervous every time they throw to him. And every time he catches it, that I think he's going to fumble it if he catches it, or I think he's going to be in the wrong spot when they throw. So let's not get too caught up in Harrison Bryant's absence from this game. Might too mean Ellis, tell me if I'm mean. No, I agree. The rookie wall is w- real, and Browns fans are seeing that this year with Harrison Bryant. It, it's you know probably best that he – I mean, obviously, of course, gets healthy, but this offense will operate just fine with Hooper and Njoku. All right, Ellis, what you got? Yeah, for me, look, we don't talk storylines a lot on this podcast. It's, it's data-driven. It's film-driven. But I'm here to say that if the Browns lose Sunday and this season ends with – a Jets loss and the Browns losing to a backup quarterback and a Steelers unit without their two best defensive players. I understand why there will be disappointment and unrest and just sadness, but Browns fans, I promise you, I will stand with, I'm sure a few, a few other, my colleagues who will agree that this season has been successful, that there's a lot to take away from this. And if you were to tell it, any of us in August, that first the NFL would play all of its games on schedule for the most part and not have to have an extra week or that we'd even get to this point without a two week delay. And that the Browns are facing the Steelers in a winning in situation. And there was no backup quarterback or excuse me, there was a backup quarterback playing and a, a, a put together defense. 
you'd like your chances. You would sign up for this. So here we are. Enjoy Sunday. And whatever happens, I promise you the season was successful. And we'll be back to talk about it either way. I will say, you don't want to know how fast I am going to get up the a great season and a third place finish setting up a third place schedule for next year is the start of the Brown Super Bowl run in 2021. Oh, yeah. That that is locked and I mean cuz they're probably going <laughs> to even if they win they're probably going to finish third because the Ravens are going to win and they're going to have the tiebreaker like right. there is like it's, it's one point. of those things. It's it's little things but it's like hey the Chiefs are awesome first place schedule next year. Buffalo's awesome first place schedule next year. Like it's going to and the Browns are just going to be like okay that's fine. We showed a lot of people they're going to get better in certain areas. And I, I think we've been saying the whole time, it's not a blip. It's not a blip. You're not missing out on something like, oh, this was there one year and it was a pandemic year. It's like, no, it's the start of something. It's the start of the rise of got to watch the tape. That's what it's all about. We just want people to listen to the podcast. So, all right. Thanks to you guys. Happy new year to you, Ellis and Scott. Yep. I hope 2020 I hope you survived it well, and I hope 2021 is prosperous for all of us here and everybody listening and for the Cleveland Browns. So for Ellis and Scott, thanks to you guys so much for making Gotta Watch the Tape part of your 2020. Have a great New Year's Eve. Celebrate safely. Get ready for Sunday. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.